Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. cycle up dr ed slover you're in uh welcome to the podcast you are in a place to be thanks for being here how you doing tonight i'm well chris thanks for having me looking forward to the chat yeah yes sir i read a little bit about your background you know like like before like before we just uh, started recording here you said you were in the health and fitness industry and then you seem to be wanting to help people become better i guess is a better way to put it so but, um, you know, why don't you give a brief rundown of who you are? That way the audience kind of knows what we're getting into and what you, you know, just the gist of who you are. And that way, uh, then we'll take it from there. How about that? It sounds great. I When I went to college, I was had every intention on becoming a sportscaster. This was when ESPN was in its heyday. And uh, I graduated from college, had an opportunity to go to a sports camp. And on the way home from that, realized that that wasn't exactly what I wanted to do because I didn't want to work 80 hours a week for $18,000 a year getting people coffee. Mm-hmm. I, I copped out and went to grad school. And then after about a year and a half of that was completely fried and then went up to the owner of the gym that I was working out at and asked him for a job. And that started a 16 year career in the commercial health and fitness industry, most notably as the district manager for 24 hour fitness here in Phoenix. And subsequent to that, I had an opportunity to get into higher education. I've been an assistant professor of management marketing at Grand Canyon University for the last eight years. And 18 months ago, I started uh, Quest Consulting, so a business and management consulting uh, business. And that then along the way, I started the Quest for Life podcast and then formed the Quest for Life as its own separate business. And that has been unbelievably rewarding. I saw this image on Instagram a few months ago, and it was a screenshot of some a woman who tweeted that said, why is it that when women need therapy, they go to a psychologist, and when men need therapy, they start a podcast? <laughs> and it's so it's so true. I've grown so much over the last now 13 months writing and recording and producing. And I mean, you know, you know, the drill. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Been there. And meeting so many wonderful people and 
uh, my first two seasons, I didn't really have a particular theme outside of really wanting wanting to help improve people's lives. This particular season, and I actually just recorded my seventh episode earlier today, is all about helping people level up their mindset so they can achieve peak performance in life and in business. And it's been an absolute blast. Yeah. So kind of moving on from that. So did, I, I was reading that you always had this growth kind of mindset after your father passed, I guess it's kind of going back a little bit. So everyone kind of, we can start a little bit right there. And so before all that, were you just kind of going day by day and just living your life? And then all of a sudden with this life kind of experience happening when your father passed, is that when you decided that, Hey, I want to do better. I want to be better. You know, this is, this is where my journey starts. Uh, not, not, not quite, not quite. So I had a pretty nondescript childhood up until I, I was, I turned 13. My father passed away of pancreatic cancer when he was 39. And I had two older sisters. And as you might expect, that that was uh, quite traumatic. Now, they ended up moving out over the next couple of years. Then it was just my mom and I. So in a span of about uh, 18 months to two years, we went from a family of five to really a family of two. And it was a time when my mom needed to get out and live her life again. Yeah. And the reality is, I didn't know how to cope. Fortunately, I, I never got in trouble, even though I was a latchkey kid. Who knows uh, what was protecting me from that? Maybe I was just afraid of getting in trouble. And but I was an angry, I was an angry young man. I was hmm. an angry young man. And it wasn't until my early 20s where I had alienated one of my sisters to the point where I asked her, why don't we have a relationship anymore? And her response was quite blunt because you're a jerk. Wow. And, you know, Chris, we need people in our lives to pull things out of our blind spot. Sure. And that happened to be one of those moments where I needed that pulled out of my blind spot. And from that day forward, so really in my early 20s, everything really became about you know, trying to live out whatever potential that I, I have available in me. Uh, really pursued the academics, you know, undergrad, master's, doctorate, uh, have had just wonderful career success. And now at my age, I'm, I'm, I'll be 49 this year. And there's there's this interesting space in, in midlife where you realize that it's no more about the material acquisition or status or money. We've I've constructed that life and there's this deconstruction that that's occurring in preparation for this reconstruction where it's really about legacy and giving back and being of service to others. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird how, and I don't know if it's, you know, the narrative or it's the media or entertainment, whatever you want to say is, you know, growing up that you think that, you know, having this materialistic possessions that you're automatically successful in life. And right. that's what, you know, people will, and which people do, you know, automatically judge you for you know based on what car you drive your profession you know what type of house you live in where'd you grow up at where'd you go to school at and all that good stuff but like you just said that it seems like you know being you know when you said you're 49 years old and you started to become that hey it's not really all about that you know and that you know chasing these what do you call it? chasing these valuables just to impress people who don't really care about you is just why am i doing this because you know that was one of my ways of thinking when I was younger that, you know, I had to have the best of everything in order to get, I guess, the respect out of the world, you know, and yeah. just that it's like, what am I, then I don't know what happened, but finally just deemed on me one day, just maybe it was after college and stuff that I was chasing something that 
I didn't want, or I thought that I only wanted just because people told me that's what I had to have, or that's what I, they told me I wanted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just that once I kind of changed that little bit of the mindset and was just like, started looking about what does Chris really want out of this life and stuff, you know, it's just like, man, where am I, where am I going? Am I really happy? Are we, is this really what I had planned out for here? And just, and not that, you know, I guess that's almost everybody's life, but you know, everyone, it's just life in general. Just, there's no manual, right? And you just go that's down right. different paths and you hope it's the best path that you choose. And if not, you know, the hands you get dealt with, as far as in a poker analogy, that you just do the best you can with, I guess. Yeah. In terms of human development, we we all live in a similar way in the sense that up until about the age of eight, so this is commonly accepted by psychological research, up until about the age of eight, we spend a disproportionate amount of our time, and rightfully so, seeking the validation of the adults in our life, namely yeah. our parents. We need to learn what good looks like. I mean, in fact, most kids between the ages of three and six or seven don't know the difference between truth and lies. It's the adults that teach them that. Sure. And right around the age of eight, there's a shift starts to happen where there's a decline in the pursuit of external validation from our parents and more of a pursuit in external validation from our social circle. And all of this makes sense because we have to live in cooperation with others if for no other reason we don't get anything done if we can't cooperate with them. But it gets really strange on us when we get into early adulthood or heck, even into midlife where we're constantly pursuing or feeling as though we need the validation of others, where we're living by other people's standards, whether it's individuals or society. What's what we have to at least admit to ourselves is that the goalpost is always moving. When we live by other people's expectations or others' standards, the goalpost will always move. I mean, what is ultimately good enough? How many cars do I need? How many how many you know, pairs of uh, of vintage Nike shoes yeah. do I need to still be you know one of the cool kids oh. or whatever? To live a functional life, though, there has to be this transition in, in focusing less on needing external validation, which feels good when we get it, and it should. It's supposed oh. to. There's a neurochemical cocktail that happened that gets released, but moving away from that towards doing things well for the sake of doing them well, being involved in activities because they bring us joy. And by virtue of that, we show up differently in the world and we show up better for the people that we let into our world. And it has a ripple effect to that rather than being just wrecked if we don't get the latest like on social media or someone doesn't give us praise for the work we did at our job or whatever. So in summary, really, is when we put our self-worth in other people's hands, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. It's virtually impossible to find joy and happiness in that space. Is that the problem with the uh, the world today? Is that so many people put their self-worth into other people's hands just because of, you know, we're in the, what, the information age and where anything you do will be, you know, spread across the world in a matter of minutes, seconds, I guess that's to say, in that, you know, and you, you're going through social media all day and you're always hearing about what other people are doing, you know, good or bad. And, you know, either who's got the latest things or whatever. And so you're always consumed with, 
you know, so much information coming at you and almost comparing yourself to others at all times throughout the day, rather than just, you know, just not know, only being familiarized with what's going on in your local community that, you know, and just kind of focusing on more yourself. But now it seems like the world has just become right here at your fingertips or in the palm of your hand where you can immediately just find out anything in a matter of, like I said, seconds. And all of a sudden your brain just can't handle it. Maybe is what I'm trying to say is in that, you know, and that's what we decide that, oh, okay, if we put ourselves out there and we get, like you just said, like, you know, 48 likes on Instagram and all of a sudden, oh, people love me, you know, okay, now I got to get to, you know, 96 likes, you know, people will love me even more. And we start chasing that, that dope, that dopamine hit or that serotonin. Right. And like, I guess that's, maybe I'm rambling on too much, but that's just, uh, is that the issue with the modern world? Because sometimes I wonder if it's an issue with, you know, men of my age and, you know, my stature and just even people that younger than me, just that if we get too consumed with this stuff and it's just kind of, what's beating the path of how the brain is developed over certain, certain yeah. Uh, to answer your question is certainly one of the problems. Uh, I, I think I think technology is is an easy scapegoat. Sure. Our, our lives are our, our lives are full of distraction, independent of the technology. The technology just you know, is front and center. The average American spends three and a half hours on their smartphone every day. I spend two and a half, so that means you would spend four and a half just to average that out. But we we're in an older generational cohort. Those that generational cohort that's older than us spends less than we do. Mm. So the younger the 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 younger millennials and young and gen you know Generation Z they're on their phone six to seven hours a day. And I'm not so I'm not so sure it's tech if it's not just kind of baked into the cake with this. You reference dopamine. We have an incentive reward system that whenever we see a like or we. And of course, the algorithms are incre incredibly brilliant at keeping our attention and focus. And so it, this becomes a neurochemical groove that gets cut and over time deepens and widens. And it's addictive. Yeah. Just like validation from other people is addictive, <laughs> whether other substances, alcohol, drugs, you know, different behaviors like gambling, all of these become, become addictions. And the way to overcome it is to cut different grooves. Once that once that chemical groove is cut, it's cut. There's you're you're not gonna you're, you're not gonna turn that off completely. So when it comes to something like technology, one of my recommendations is if you're on your phone four hours a day, let's start by cutting it back to three and a half. Yeah. And figuring out how we can cut a different groove in that other 30 minutes with something that adds more productive value. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. They kind of start small just rather than just trying to quit cold turkey, I guess, so to speak, you know, because it's not impossible, but it's almost it's harder for somebody to do it rather than that, where they can just get a, accumulated with just, all right, I could do something else for 30 more minutes. You know, maybe I can yep. read a book or, you know, go on a walk or whatever it is and, you know, and figure it out that way. But I, and then you also can transfer that to other things in life that, you know, might be non-habitual to you that you are taking down a negative spiral feedback loop whatever you want to say rather than a positive one and you keep wondering why i never have time to do x y and z it's because well maybe i was spent you know four hours on my phone but then i spent the other three on netflix or whatever and so then you know you start to point at fingers or whatever oh it's not me it's you know technology it's all their fault it's really not me though but it's like well if you really sit back and look at what you're doing you know if you have goals and things in your life you're really not doing you know i don't think part of your goals is to watch 
three hours of Netflix and I'm not putting down Netflix or anything, but right. like, again, just kind of talking about the modern world and everything. It's just so easy to go home and just sit on your couch and just say, you know, screw everything else. I'm just going to do this for tonight. This is my reward system. I had such a stressful day rather than just trying to change your mindset, change the way you think about life and change the way that, you know, like I said, if you do have these five-year goals, 10-year goals of making six-figure salaries or becoming whatever it is you want to be that you want in this life that you can. And it's, it's really not hard. I know it's not easy, but it's really not as hard today in this modern world as it was back then where you have, again, like that's one of the con or pros is, you know, you're right here with the ease of access of so much information at your fingertips to learn yeah. anything that you want to learn. You know, yeah, I, th I think all this falls in the bucket of simple, but not easy. Yes. Now, one of the one of the first questions I ask a prospective client is about how they orient to the world. If they orient where they believe that they have control and agency in their life, where they can bring about uh, or realize their own fate and destiny, and then they take responsibility for the consequences of their decision, then I'll work with them. Sure. Because the opposite is it's a constant push rather than trying to you know, reel someone in where they externalize everything. Everything isn't their responsibility. The world happens to them. And interestingly, once the blame card comes out, the victim com card comes out right away. Of course. And that so working with working with people that say, hey, look, um, I don't have enough time. All right. Well, are you willing to do a, an exercise where we break this down? We all get 168 hours every week. We all spend the majority of our time sleeping. Next is work and then different obligations that we have. And what we're looking for are time bandits. Spending three hours on social media now that where you're not monetizing a business or you're just watching TikTok and, and you know, mindlessly scrolling. Well, we also have to account for rest and we can rest has productive value, but does it have three hours of productive value watching videos on TikTok? I'm not so sure. And knowing that most people can't stop cold turkey, very, very small percentage of the population can stop any habit like that or break any habit like that cold turkey. Yeah. Maybe it's a matter of scaling it back 30 minutes or an hour a day and then reinvesting that hour into something that we claim we want whether it's that five-year or 10-year year goal you referenced. Yeah. Do people know what they want? Do you think? I mean, like, you know, we were talking about earlier, you thought you wanted to be a sportscaster. And I was one of those, you know, going through college and my bachelor's and master's. I thought I wanted to work in sports as well. And it got to where, you know, I did a couple of internships and it got to like knowing like, oh, you really got to know other people in order to, you know, get to certain positions. It's kind of what my advisors kind of told me and some, you know, my internship bosses, like it, a lot of it was who, you know, in the sports industry right. and, then, and then working, you know, X amount of hours, more than 40 hours a week, plus getting, you know, not great pay or whatever, but you know, you're, you're paying your dues, I guess somebody would say, but it's like, do I really want to do this. And then you find your, I found something more that I thought attracted to my mind and my goals and values and, what I thought I wanted in life compared to, cause I went through all of college, all of my master's degrees thinking in sports, I was working in sports. I want to be an athletic director one day. This is it. And I found out like, Oh, this is not it. But is that it? I mean, <laughs> a lot of people not really know what uh, they want in life or they still try to figure it out. 
Well, ha- having the opportunity to work with Generation Z every day, they really don't know yeah. yet. They, of course, given their where they are in their arc of their life, they're still living by the expectations of their parents or past teachers or coaches. And and I don't know about you, Chris, but one of the things that I found is that my twenties were about really being able to articulate what I didn't like and what I didn't want, which interestingly, the opposite of those things weren't necessarily what I liked and what I wanted. And it wasn't, it wasn't until I was in my thirties and I think maybe the birth of my daughter and the, the timing of all of it, where it became much more comfortable in my own skin, where I was finally able to articulate definitively what I liked and what I wanted. Those things that I knew would bring me joy. And those were the things that I sprinted after once I was able to define those things. Mm. So, so I think, I, I think it's, you know, just part of our development in, in the evolution of um, of life and how, how our personality gets expressed, what we're exposed to, who walks in and out of our world. I think it's just just such a, a, a diverse combination of factors that I think when we're younger, when we're, whenever we say we want something, we're making a claim that we're not 100 percent sure is true, mm. which is it, which makes sense. In that, you know, when we pursue those things, we don't get very far down that road to be like, oh, yeah, you're into CrossFit and you've seen plenty of people that come in and they're like, yes, I want to I want to change my life. My doctor told me I'm going to die if I don't do something soon. And six weeks later, they fall out. Yeah. Well, maybe one of the maybe one of the considerations is not living a life of going guardrail to guardrail, where they're they're living a lifestyle, nutrition or exercise wise, that obviously isn't conducive to sustainable health. And now all of a sudden they're going all the other way where they're committing to working out five, six, seven days a week. They 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 just completely overhaul their nutrition. And that's not that's for most people, that's not sustainable. No. And one of the one of the things I developed really early on that served me extraordinarily well is this idea of non-disruptive changes. Can we pull a few levers un, with an understanding of how the brain works? Can we pull a few levers to start gaining momentum where they're not these sweeping changes where all where also people start getting results and then you have this positive feedback loop that forms and they're like, oh my gosh, I feel better. I my clothes are looser. I'm sleeping better. This whole cascading effect where then all of a sudden, because they're gaining momentum, they want to continue that momentum. Yeah. Like gaining small little wins, you know, when you start to work out and you start to kind of notice that, Ooh, my, my pants fit a little bit better today, or, you know, I wake up and I don't have brain fog, or I actually feel like I can walk, you know, to the under the other, uh, the other end of the parking lot and not be out of breath. So you start to, you know, understand like, Hey, what I'm doing is working. Right. And That's you right. get those wins you build off of it. Kind of is that kind of kind of what you're saying? Yeah. It, you know, the the leadership guru, if you will, John Maxwell talks about momentum mm-hmm. with re- regard to business. And the same holds true for us in life, particularly related to uh, you know achieving a fitness goal. Imagine a, a a locomotive that is stationary and you put a little one inch triangle in front of the drive shaft. You can't get that. You can't get that thing moving. But all of a sudden, 
if we can build momentum and you have a, a locomotive going 55 miles an hour, it would actually pulverize a five foot cinder block wall if it struck it. Momentum solves so many of our, our, our problems provided that we can simply get started. Well, OK, well, as someone who is is sitting on on the couch, not treating their their mental, physical or, or spiritual or even emotional health well. What about getting just getting going a little bit and them seeing the benefit of these small changes that don't disrupt their life? Mm. For example, I had a I had a coworker, I guess, gosh, it's probably been eight or nine years ago by now. She was 51 years old and she wanted to lose 50 pounds. And she knew I was in the health and fitness industry. And she asked if I could help her. And the first thing I told her uh, was, yes, but my philosophy is all about non-disruptive changes. At the time, she and her husband were the de facto band managers of one of her daughter's musical groups. So they ate out six nights a week. Oh, wow. And I said, okay, you're going to still do that. But I'm going to I'm going to teach you how to how to be able to do that more effectively. And the first thing we have to talk about is how the brain works. We have an almond sized gland in our brain called the hypothalamus. Among other things, it regulates appetite. And if you envision the hypothalamus much like a stoplight and each one of those lamps represents one of the macronutrients, proteins, carbs, fats. Right. At every meal, what we want to do is we want to make sure we light those lamps. Because if we don't, and eating a donut for breakfast and that's it, is the perfect example of this where we get the fat from the oil in the donut and certainly the carbohydrate from the sugar in the donut, but it has next to no protein. And an hour, hour and a half later, we're eating again. Mm -hmm. But what if we're able to light the lamp every single time we eat? And so she, she and her husband were getting ready to go uh, to dinner that night. And I asked her what she normally got. She normally would order a turkey burger, fries, and wine. Okay. Okay. So here's what I'd like you to do. We, we know that roughly 20 minutes after we start eating, the signal gets sent between our brain and our digestive system to stop eating. And Thanksgiving dinner is a really good example of that. Oh, yes. What I wanted her to do was just to glance at her watch when, they, when the server brought dinner. She cut the turkey burger in half at my instruction and counted a dozen fries because one of her challenges was on previous diets was she didn't feel like she could participate and then, you know, have in, enjoy the wine. Well, in terms of lighting the lamp, you get the carbohydrate from the fries and the bun. You get the protein from the turkey and some fat from the turkey and some fat from the cheese that went on the turkey burger. Yes. And after 20 minutes, if she felt hungry, Drink eight ounces of water. If I have 10 minutes after that, she was legitimately hungry, eat the other half of the burger. Otherwise, I just saved you $6 for lunch tomorrow. Yeah, nice. Chris, the next day, she pops her head in my office and holds up a, a grocery bag with the other half of the turkey burger. Lunch. Nice. She ended up joining a gym five months into her journey. I left a month after that. Uh, and to take a take the position at Grand Canyon University, and she had lost forty six pounds. Wow! And I saw her a couple of years ago. So keeping in mind, she was fifty one at the time. She'll be approaching sixty this year. And we met for lunch, and she had kept all of it off. And I asked her, "How did you do it?" 
She's like, I just kept doing what we talked about. She's like, it's so easy and I don't have to think about it. Yes. Yeah. See, these little things like that, just, you know, it can make a world of difference where people just think I have to eat a salad. I know this, we don't have to be, this being health and fitness podcast right here or episode, but yeah, this right. one thing. So oh, I got to eat like a salad all the time. And that's something I want to lose weight. You know, and I shouldn't have, you know, I shouldn't have wine or all that stuff, what you're saying, but just like little thing, changes like that to say, you know, getting your meal and cutting it in half and just saving it for the, your lunch tomorrow. That is a greatly undermined way to do things. And I don't know why people just don't look at it like that as far as like portions and everything. And maybe, maybe it's just because they don't really understand what a portion is of like protein, carbs, and fats, right? Just that, you know, we, we, they kind of see every day, like America seems to pride itself on how much you can eat with like all the food challenges and, oh, you know, uh, the hot dog contest they have at the 4th of July and everything. And it's just that people, in my opinion, don't seem to understand that, okay, you know, you don't really need that whole burger right there, which I'm not dismissing burgers, but our whole burger or whole whatever it is, just because it's, you know, that's like, twice or three times is what you need you know portion control seems sure. to be the main thing in my opinion one of the problems with this country and that's one thing i had to learn with my is across my you know little fitness journey here was that i thought you know when i first did my thing i don't I've, I've talked about this before but when i first did my one of my diets you know it said i could only have like four ounces of chicken or whatever and i put normally what i would on a plate and that i weighed it and i was like oh wait right that's like 15, 16 ounces. Like I thought that was like nothing. And so then it's like, now when you actually saw what four ounces of chicken was, was, oh. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Damn. Okay. Well, this is how it's going to be, and just getting that visualization in my head, and I guess like you were talking about switching those levers in the brain, I was like, okay, now That's we right. know, now we know, now we can move forward, and now we can start to see these results, hopefully, and go from there. And- you know, Chris, in many in many ways, the the deck stacked against us. Now, what I'm not saying, and I want to preface this, what I'm not saying is that it's not our responsibility. Yeah, it, it is. At, at, at when it's all when it all comes out, it, it's our responsibility. However, the deck is stacked against us. Government food subsidies make certain certain food products extraordinarily inexpensive by comparison. Animal a, animal agriculture is one example. Now, I'm not talking about the inflationary period that we've all dealt with the last however long two years, but comparatively inexpensive. And then you have, then you bring in food scientists who have perfected creating food stuff. These are the things in boxes and bags that tap into the three things that the human organism is naturally addicted to, which is salt, fat, and sugar. Mm-hmm. 
And then they market it with these really colorful boxes and some extraordinary claims that a, a cookie should get the American Heart Association seal of approval. And you never see that same sticker on an apple. And so basically what I'm getting at is eating healthy isn't the default setting for us. Mm-hmm. The default setting for us are consuming those things that allow our the pleasure center of our brain to fire. So take that donut I referenced earlier. Well, not only were you dealing with blood sugar con- considerations, you're also dealing with dopamine considerations. And you have a donut, dopamine elevates for about 15 minutes. That's not unlike getting validated on social media. And as that if you imagine a seesaw as that declines, it doesn't come back to level. It actually overcorrects. And it's almost as if the brain is feeling pain. That's not the best way of saying that because the brain doesn't feel pain, but it's almost a dopamine deficit. And the thing that gets that back is to consume more of the refined processed foods. Mm. So I don't know about you, but when I grew up going into a grocery store, I thought, well, this is what the food available to me. This is must, this must but be what's healthy to consume. And 80% of it is exactly what we shouldn't consume. Exactly. Yeah. I had no idea of what nutrition was growing up. Just that, you know, you eat just to eat, you know, if you're hungry, eat whatever it is, it didn't matter. Just, and I didn't know anything about proteins, carbs, and fats. I just knew, and, and not to say anything bad towards my parents either. You know, I heard this quote one time, from a guy following a CrossFit stuff, he said that uh, if you were fat when you were under 16 years old, it's your parents' fault, right? And I was like, oh, well, I guess it could be. I mean, I'm not going to completely don't. I don't know if that's 100 percent true, but um, it does make sense in certain aspects. But you know, I was never a fat kid or anything. I don't know if it was just one of those things. I just got lucky in life. But to your point, though, yeah, when I'd walk into a grocery store, it's just uh, yeah, everything here is fine to eat. You know, no matter what, you didn't have to worry about. You know, if you eat too many, you know, I remember hearing when I was little, if you eat too many grapes, you'd get cancer, right? I don't know if that's true. I don't know where that came from, but I know I, I knew I, somebody told me that when I was young. And I remember, and I don't know if they were just messing with me or what. It's kind of like what we were talking about earlier in the podcast about truths and lies or whatever. But it was just like, well, maybe they just want me to stop eating grapes. I don't know. But anyway, it was just things like that I would just pick off or pick up from random people in my family or friends about their experiences with certain foods. You know, just like if somebody was like, you know, growing up, nobody knew the word gluten. I don't even know if gluten was even around then. But if somebody were to say like, oh, you know, I have I stopped eating gluten and I lost 40 some pounds and then everybody, went, oh, yeah, you stop eating gluten. That's the thing. That's the way to do it. To do that. That's how my education came from as far as nutrition stuff growing up. And I didn't know as far as performance, how, you know, what you ate was, you know, kind of like putting gas into a car, what you're actually put into your body is how your body's going to perform on That's right. the sports world and stuff like that. And, you know, it always came from. Even too, part of my family were in the area of where sports figures were drinking beer during halftime or whatever, smoking cigarettes, and this, that's this part of the, what they did. And that's right. Nobody knew. No, nobody knew anything about the science behind strength conditioning and nutrition. It was just, I guess, you're just either born or you were blessed with the skills that you had. You maybe did a little bit of weightlifting, and that was it. You know, so I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that point, but that was all my point. But. Changing gears here a little bit, going back on you. I didn't want to make this sure. whole about nutrition and strength conditioning. Oh, I, lo- I love the topic. It, yeah, it's not, I, it, I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for it too. Yeah. But just kind of going back with you though, just so everyone kind of gets more of who you are and everything that we didn't touch much on it 
in the beginning, but you know, you've done like a lot of six, I think you had a lot of six figure, you know, jobs, I guess I could say salaries and that, you know, and then you did the higher education thing and, you know, now you even got the book called quest, right? Yeah. Like what, where the motivation become to write the book? Cause that's just from kind of what we've been talking about, you know, as far as your journey through life, these leadership roles, your, uh, you know, your academics or what, where was there your, your podcast? You just decided to write what's up. Yeah. Let me give you the cliff notes version on that. Okay. The, the uh, I I'm a, I'm a person of deep faith and not a, not in a Bible thumping type of way in my own personal relationship. And for the last 15 years or so, anytime I felt a pull, I followed it. And it's led me down paths that have led to nothing but wonderful outcomes. And being in higher education, it's really easy to become insulated in that environment. And I had thought over the years that maybe I would start a, a consulting business if for no other reason to stay relevant to my students, given yep. how quickly business and industry change, but nothing ever came of it. And then in late August of 2021, I walked into the living room and I told my wife, I'm like, I'm feeling a pull. And she gets excited about that. And it was about starting Quest Consulting. And the first thing that I did was make phone calls to gather information from people that I trusted. And I ended, uh, ended up speaking with two gentlemen, both of whom were consultants, uh, one of which was my uh, doctoral dissertation committee chair. And they could not have had more different philosophical approaches to consulting, but they had one thing that they, uh, they said that was in common. And they're like, Ed, you need to write a book. If for no other reason, it's a pretty impressive business card, but you need to write a book, personal philosophy, business philosophy, and um, and go do that first. And so I outlined the book. I started writing uh, September 27th of 21 and published it November 3rd. It was 83,000 words in 83 hours. Wow. Quite literally it it flowed. I actually told my wife on a number of occasions, it feels like I'm talking out of the end of my fingers. Now, it's not an academic book. I'm, I intentionally made it conversational. Sure. But it was it was a wonderful accomplishment. I, I never thought I would ever have time to be able to do that. But, you know, I, I was able to weave in one to three hours a day to to sit down and write sometimes more. And it just flowed. Subsequent to publishing the book, I, I was walking out to the parking garage after class one day, and I had a student that inquired about a podcast and if I'd ever thought about doing one. And over the years, there had been a half dozen students that were curious about why I didn't have one. Yeah. And he says to me, he says, if you published a podcast, I'd listen every week. I'm like, Wow. Okay, well, let's see where this adventure goes. I mean, I, who who knows? I mean, how long have you been doing podcasting? Uh, it's a little over two years now, right? So it, you you it's, it hasn't been that long where you remember like okay, well, how how do I figure this out? I mean, I started in my bedroom closet oh, next right. to my wife's sweaters. Yeah, yeah, I'm still in the same area where I started at this third bedroom that I just kind of makeshifted into a. Like you see my dogs behind me. Just I see your dogs, yeah. Just like I built a desk and got a second monitor and got some microphones. I was like, hey, I'm a podcaster now. You're right? a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try this out. We'll see what happens. And 
In terms of the consulting business, I intentionally didn't take on any clients in the fall of 21. I was writing a book, designing a website, really building out my vision for this. And I ended up getting my first client in the third week of January last year and ended up having 22 clients last year alone. Now, I didn't have anything to compare it to. I didn't know what good looked like as far as that goes. But the people that I, I spoke with along the way were, were blown away by that number. And these were clients ranging from folks that were just starting from scratch. They didn't even know how to file for an LLC up to working with a nonprofit in, in Georgia, helping them basically blow up their entire volunteer program and recreating it to doing leadership uh, curriculum development and training for a healthcare company here in Arizona. So this this incredibly diverse work that has been overwhelmingly rewarding. I feel extraordinarily blessed. And in addition to in, in addition to my my teaching, wonderful family. It, it, talk about being at a at a place in life where the only word I have for it is gratitude. For sure, for sure. Is that I mean, having that gratitude and just having that, <clears throat> I guess it's knowing that if and when a student came up to me or not if and when, but if a student came up to me and was like, hey, if you had a podcast, you know, I would listen to it every week or every show or whatever. And just knowing that you're making that a difference in a student's lives, is that just very, very fulfilling? Just knowing that, hey, you know, this is this is all coming together. This is all meant, like you said, I know you said you were not a Bible thumping person but you know just hey maybe i found my reasoning on here now i'm giving it back to everybody it's just having a feeling like that just knowing that you've helped somebody and even in small ways or big ways or whatever it is it's just got to be so fulfilling correct just knowing that you're making that impact no doubt it, it, it was it was such an amazing compliment i mean the reality is we never truly know how we come off to other people exactly unless they tell us exactly we, we never know definitively. And to have that that conversation and then that compliment, it's reaffirming. And if you if we tie back to what we spoke about earlier in terms of being validated by other people, I didn't seek that validation. No. I didn't I didn't know what he was going to say next. And yet he offered something that validated or reaffirmed me or what I'm about or how I go about doing things. And it felt really good because it's supposed to feel really good. Had he not said that, I I wouldn't have known anything, anything else. And it wouldn't have wrecked me for him, him not having said it. Sure. But it served as the final impetus to start something that I had no idea where it could possibly go. And, and quite frankly, still don't. All I know is that I've been made better for having taken that first step on that journey, that specifically with podcasting, but obviously, you know, consulting and, and coaching. I'm showing up better in the world, which allows me to be better for the people that come into my world. That's great. And, yep. you know, Going back a little bit, I know you just you just said you said you weren't like a Bible thumping person, but being in higher education and dealing with you know woke culture and just politically correctness, I mean, do you find it tough talking about religion or spirituality, or does it just kind of depend? Do you just kind of know the room and just say, 
what I should be saying and what I should not be saying and what, you know, like, Hey, does this relate to this topic X, Y, and Z? Or, I mean, do, does it ever make you uncomfortable? Maybe that's just what I'm trying to say. It doesn't. And here's why. Uh, Grand Canyon University is the largest Christian university in the country. Did not know that. Yeah. Well, uh, in terms of total enrollment, the university passed Liberty a couple of years ago. And that's how that's how schools measure their size in terms of total enrollments between in-person and online. Right, right. Yeah, Liberty's right next to me. And I guess I always thought they were the biggest because they used to pride themselves on being the biggest. That's in- right. OK. Yep. OK, go ahead. Sorry. I mean, to cut you off there. Yeah. So my teaching style, though, is I don't bring it up a lot. The reason I don't is 99% of the students are going to work for secular businesses. Mm. So they they need to be bartenders metaphorically. And bartenders are taught there are three things you don't talk about with your patrons. You don't talk about sex, religion, or politics, sure. especially while that person's getting drunk on the other side of the bar. <laughs> and I, I'm I'm candid about that with them. As it relates to woke, woke culture, certain topics get brought up. Yes. And it's an interesting interplay to how do you create a discussion? And this is a question that I I constantly am asking and answering myself. How do you create a, a discussion where you're dealing with a controversial topic Mm -hmm. that you want to hear from both sides without it completely devolving into a shouting match. Agreed. And my role in that is, is Switzerland where I'm able to see the merit, whether I agree with one side or the other is not the point. I try to be identify with the merit of the points of the argument and present that and while t- tr- simultaneously trying to downplay some of the some of the emotion and those things that rev people up mm-hmm. and we end up ha- we end up having some really robust discussions with with all grounded in this premise that I don't have to like what you're saying I don't have to like your worldview or like what you value but I I'm going to show you respect and dignity of course in in the moment now what once the moment's over and you know if if, if you're still upset about that i'll let you go be upset about that right because that, those that your those are your emotions i'm not going to take any ownership of that yeah but it's this interesting psychological space where you cannot like something and yet still respect it of course and I don't know about you, Chris, but when I when I made that realization, it was somewhere in my early to mid twenties. I felt like I was finally growing up. Oh, yes. See, I never going through my mid twenties. You know, I'm I'm 36 now, but going through college and you know hanging out with friends and things like that. You know, having conversations where they could be considered hot button topics. I never really experienced any of those just because my friend group didn't do that. You know, we didn't have debates on you know, drug legalization or marijuana or not marijuana or abortion or whatever, you know, we just didn't do that. I don't know if it's just because it wasn't cool or we just weren't smart enough. I don't know what it was, but we just didn't do that. But it wasn't until I guess maybe five to 10 years ago is when I actually started thinking that, you know, wondering like, what did I think about certain aspects like that? You know, because it seemed like 
here lately, every time you watch the news or go on the internet, there's always some sort of new world event happening, right? I'm like, okay, well, if somebody were to ask me this, like, I just don't want to say, I don't know. I'd rather have something better to say than just, you know, well, I saw it on the news, so this is the way it must be, rather than just try to come up and form my own thoughts. And even starting my own podcast where, yeah, we I've had a couple of topics on here that were hot button topics, but I've always just tried to stay neutral and try to like you read both sides of the argument just because I don't, I don't know everything, you know, I don't know what I don't know. And that, you know, if I can hear why you, you know, Ed might think one way or the other, but okay, let me see what he's got to say. You know, maybe he knows something I don't know. And then let me hear the other side of the argument or I'll go do my own research on it. But yeah, I don't, nothing comes from a huge shouting match and try to shout over one another and just be the loudest and, trying to dominate the conversation that way. It's like, well, you're not winning just because you're yelling now. I mean, even though you're yelling and what you're saying, it still has no, you know, merit to what the conversation originally was. Right. Yeah. And so, and that's where I just like kind of just knew that it's kind of, I looked at it like this, you know, when you really start to learn some new skill, right. Um, Like whether it be snowboarding or just anything in general, but you seem to, most people I feel like really want to learn it really fast and do it as fast as they can, just because, you're excited. You think that it's going to be easy for you. And, but if you slow things down is when you really start to learn like how to do X, Y, and Z, you know, you, you're with a professional and you might be the ego might be whatever. And you know, you're speeding through it. You're not really learning the foundational skills that you need, but you're just, cause you want to do it so quick, but then you slow it down a little bit and you start to learn. And I think for me, that's when slowing things down and, not just speaking because I, it was my turn to speak or speaking because I had to. It's just like, hey, I don't have to say anything here. You know, I can be one of these people who just say, like, hey, I'll go research it later and then I'll come back to the conversation. So, yeah. Yeah. And that seemed to make a world of difference for me rather than just, you know, trying to be somebody I'm not. You know, hey, if I don't know anything about, you know, the Chinese balloon, then I don't know anything about it. You know, I'm, I don't I don't mind saying it. Yeah. And that's what it. Yeah, and when it when it comes to certain social issues and you know, that devolve into shouting matches, it's like, what do we win if we're right? Yeah, and 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 how would we know? All we're doing is in, in increasing the divisiveness or division that we claim we don't want in the first place. And what's also fascinating about different worldviews is many people hold this hold the idea that. If I actually entertain your worldview, then on some level, I have to advocate for it or adopt it into my worldview. And that's exactly not what is not what has to happen. I don't have to I don't I don't have to agree with it to yeah. be able to sit there, despite the fact that listening to it, probably it makes me a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. But what's wrong with having a little bit of discomfort? Because, it's as you know, it's in the discomfort that all of us grow. It's in the discomfort that we learn. Yes, of course. But yet people don't tolerate that dissonance that, you know, that because they're like, well, if I, I have this attitude about it and my, my behavior is inconsistent with that attitude, that doesn't feel good. And not coincidentally, because it breaks down into shouting matches that really in many ways points to a lack of knowledge or an increased level of ignorance because we don't know what the other person is saying. And because we feel that we're not being heard and vice versa, then all, all we're doing is engaging in a waste of time. Yes. 
I agree hundred percent wasting your breath. And, and I, and I've been on the end of that where, you know, obviously CrossFit is not for everybody, but I, you know, I, and I'm a big advocate for it. It's changed my life. It's changed me not only physically, but mentally. And, you know, it's been one of the best things I've ever done in my life, but there's people out there who will only go when they start to talk about CrossFit, just even with colleagues and friends or whatever, they don't always know all the facts and figures. And, and I'm not one of those people who do either, but they're going off what, They've either read on Twitter, random, you know, mom and pop websites and just, you know, hearsay, not rather than just experience it for themselves or actually reading, you know, going on, what is it, pubmed.edu or pubmed.com, I can't remember, or actually reading actual studies of what certain things do, you know, and I'm not saying you can't get hurt in it. I'm not saying anything like that, but it's just like, you know, when you start just spitting out ideas in some form, it's just like, well, you know what, that's just, I think it's just your opinion. That's not really a... A stat or a figure. Uh oh, did I lose you? Oh, you back? Nope. Hey, oh, back. Okay, good. I thought I lost you for a second. Well, yeah. So I guess real quick though, it's just one of those things that where you're not really spitting out stacks and figures. You're really just shouting your opinion at me, and and that's okay. And I was like, hey, I'd rather you just say that you just don't like CrossFit and it's just not for you, rather than just saying trying to tell me that I'm doing it's going to basically put me in a hospital later on in my life. And it's like. It doesn't make sense to me. So, but it was just one of those things that at the end of the day, though, I mean, you're still my friend and it's fine, but you know, and like, I don't have to agree with what you're saying, but at the end of the day, I still want you to know that we still can be bros and hang out, you know, and even if, even if it's not only what your version of fitness should look like, even if it's politically and, or whatever your political affiliations are, religion affiliate affiliations are just for me at the end of the day, are, are you a good person to me and people you interact with? And that's more of what means more to me, you know? And it's like, it's cool to have these different ideologies so that, like you said, you know, we grow as people. Yeah. Isn't it funny how people take liberties without permission? Where all of a sudden you talk about CrossFit and then you get a fire hose opened up on you about all of the potentially harmful and negative effects of that, particularly over a period of time when you didn't ask for any of that. One of the things about being a Christian that I find off-putting about other Christians is when they get a question from someone who's genuinely curious about learning more, maybe they're a non-believer for whatever the reason, and they ask a question, and that Christian opens the biblical fire hose on them. And what about this? What about... Whenever you get the question on any topic, what about answering the question to in, to a point or in a way where it piques the curiosity of that person to want to ask the next question? And now what you're in is a dialogue mm-hmm. rather than a monologue. And it, it it's like pick a topic. It can be about anything. Even even interpersonally in in, in a marriage. I actually just did this yesterday. And over 10 years, Chris, I've gotten way better at this. I was not good at this right from the start. But where I'm asking the questions and somewhat cliche, do you want do you want me to listen or do you want my input? Ah, yes. And where historically I've just gone zero to 60 with input. That was never asked for. Exactly. I think that's I, I think that's just a, a better way of going about it. Uh, in in various, you know, various settings, various conversations. Yeah. 
No, I agree hundred percent, man. It's just like what I was saying, just kind of what I've learned is to slow down, th- slow down things and actually just listen to what people are saying and then, then decide if I should talk or if like you just said, or, or they just want to vent to me. They just want me to listen. They don't really right. care what my opinion is. They just want to do that. And that's a lot of stuff is what, you know, based on certain relationships I've had, just that, Oh, you didn't really want me to try to help you fix this problem. You just wanted me to listen. It's like, okay. Like I screwed up a couple of times. Okay. Now I got it. Now, now I figured it out. And that's not with, everybody that's just generally speaking but usually that's just maybe the whole point of this what i want to say is to slow down a little bit and hopefully good things happen yeah so, so but i feel like that's a good way to take this podcast home right there i want to be respectful of your time dr ed slover thanks for being here um if you want to plug your podcast or your book or just anything you want to plug in general people find you and all that good stuff feel free to do that i appreciate that i can be found it really in two primary places Quest Consulting Service, that's that service singular. So questconsultingservice.com, thequestforlife.com. So that's quest, the number four, life.com. Podcast is the same name, the Quest for Life podcast. So Spotify, Apple, wherever we find podcasts nowadays. And I'm also on LinkedIn as Dr. Ed Slover, or you can find me as Quest Consulting Service on LinkedIn. Well, any special messages you want to give out that you didn't get out during the podcast that you want to leave people with or anything good like that? I think one final one final thing. Okay. And that is whenever we make a conscious decision every day to be fractionally better than what we were yesterday, and then we make that decision again tomorrow, we, we just absolutely m- make the, the world in which we reside better. I don't think either one of us or anyone listening is going to change the entire world. But what we're able to do is we're able to change the world of the people we let into ours. And we do that by being being fractionally better every day, by developing habits that add productive value and don't detract from our life. And we don't know how other people see us. We don't know how we come off to other people. And I like to believe that when we live out and through our values, people take notice and it inspires them to take new and different action. That's a way to take a podcast home right there. So appreciate you being here. Good talking with you. You too. Thanks so much, Chris. See you folks. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line 
prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.